You're listening to RTI Audio, powered by Rocky Top Insider. This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler and Ryan Jumpert. everybody welcome into the rocky top insider press pass podcast it is wednesday august 17th we are here in the middle of tennessee football training camp just 15 days until the season opener let me go ahead and repeat that just over two weeks away from the season opener inside of neyland stadium against ball state for your tennessee volunteers we are here to break down training camp my name is rick butler joined with me as always my good friend ryan shumpert ryan good afternoon how are you doing Doing well. Doing well. Glad to be back on here talking a little ball as we get closer and closer to the start of the season. Yeah, you know, it's certainly, uh, it has been the grind for the first 17 days of August, but I feel like it's flown by. I mean, this is our, between you and I, this is our third podcast that we've done on the Press Pass during training camp. And for the most part, the team has been going hard. I mean, we talked about practice number 14 this morning. Practice started on August 1st, so you can do the math there. 14 practices in 17 days plus a couple of uh, scrimmages worked in there as well. Tennessee's been hitting the hit, hitting the ground running, uh, and they've been going hard at it this August. Yeah, they have. It, it really has. It's, it's caught me by surprise, too, how quick it's going. I was listening uh, to Josh Pace's podcast coming into, into the, or driving into the facility this morning to watch practice, and, you know, it says on August 17th. I was like, man, how is it August 17th already? And I even have a couple of family members birthdays who you know 11th and the 14th so i've been on <laughs> top of my dates it was the 14th just a few days ago and i couldn't yeah. believe uh that it, and i knew it was the 14th a few days ago and i couldn't believe that it was already the 17th but uh, it's flying by and, and really before too long the camp part of tennessee's preseason practice will end and they'll start classes will start and they'll start getting ready for ball state uh which i guess is just 15 days away yeah, I mean, we are just right around the corner from really the whole Tennessee athletics world taking off. I mean, football is going to be going, and then all of a sudden, basketball and women's basketball is going to be popping up, and then you just keep the ball rolling from there. So a lot of things coming up on the horizon. But, Ryan, for us, what's coming up for the show today, we're going to talk a little bit about just our our most recent takeaways, I guess, from Tennessee training camp. If you've been following along with the press pass, you have heard our reactions from the beginning of camp the middle of camp, and now as we're getting into somewhat towards the later parts of camp, you'll hear our reactions there. Uh, Going to talk about some of the components of Tennessee's offense, maybe some of the recruiting side of Tennessee, because certainly it has been a big couple of days on the recruiting trail for the Tennessee football team, not just them, but the basketball team as well, getting a big four-star combo guard just on Tuesday. So we're going to be here breaking it all down, coming up for you today. Ryan, what do you say without any further ado? uh, let's Let's go ahead and get this thing started. Yeah, let's get into it. So one of the big things that I have certainly been watching for over training camp, I know you have as well, and I know we've had conversations off air about this, but I want to hear your opinions on just kind of where Tennessee's running back room is. It, it feels like that's been, there's been a good amount of conversation about that throughout the uh, throughout camp so far. Not that I think that's a position of any kind of concern, but you're looking at the pieces and how they're going to fit together. It's it's a little bit of a game of Tetris, right? You know that Jabari Small is going to be that first component for Tennessee, but then after that, Jalen Wright kind of making some noise for that second spot, but he's been a little bit limited due to injuries. You have obviously both of the freshmen who have been standout so far during training camp. Dylan Sampson continues to get 
More and more uh, praise thrown his way. Justin Williams-Thomas also working hard and competing in camp. What are your thoughts right now on, on the running back room, just as we've seen about two full weeks of practices so far? Yeah, you're right. It's kind of, I, know, I think, coming into camp, no one would have really anticipated it being a major talking point. But from the start, it kind of passed with, you know, Lenith Whitehead, that opening opening day being announced that he'd had season-ending surgery. And then, obviously, Lynn J. Dixon comes in. But uh, to me, it's, it's maybe multiple things that, that stand out. And one is a question that, you know, we can't answer. It won't be answered until the season. And, you know, no one can answer it right now. But how much can Jabari Small stay on the field? Last year, you know, he didn't miss a ton of games, but he missed a lot of second half where he couldn't finish with that uh, shoulder injury that really plagued him. How much did that affect him, you know, even when he was on the field? How much of a different running back does he look like this year? And obviously he's a smaller guy. And I think he's he was talking to us uh, earlier this week, I guess it was Tuesday, and he talked about how he's added about 15 pounds this offseason. So how much does that help him? How much is he a different player going into his junior season, really his second season of earning a lot of playing time, being one of Tennessee's go-to tailbacks? I think it's going to be really interesting. And then I think after that, it's really who's Tennessee's second running back. And they're going to play more than two, but you know it's going to be one and two that, that really get – typically speaking, get a ton of carries and a ton of reps. And uh, Jalen Wright's a guy that has looked really good to me. He's added weight as well. He looks like a much more complete back this fall than he did last year as a freshman when he was kind of just more of a a quick twitch speed back. But you said it there in the lead. He really hasn't been fully healthy. He hasn't participated in either of Tennessee's scrimmages to date. And it it just kind of leaves a question mark there. And I think Dylan Sampson, and really both the freshman running back, but Dylan Sampson especially has done a good job of inserting himself and making himself uh, an option there at Tennessee's second running back, and especially given the fact that he wasn't here in spring or wasn't an early enrollee. I think that's really impressive, and it bodes really well, whether we see it or not this fall, but I think that bodes really well for Sampson in the long term. And I guess the last thing I would say there is Lynn J. Dixon. Obviously, we said it at the time, at the very least, you know, it was a good pickup for death measures, and right now I think that's more than anything what it looks like. I think it's a tall task to come in. You know, he didn't even start practicing until a couple of days into Tennessee's fall camp. So he didn't get on campus. So he's trying to learn. He's, he's playing from behind, essentially trying to learn the playbook, learn the expectations, get adjusted to this pace uh, and tempo and all that. And then he's been sidelined the past uh, couple of days with a tweaked ankle too. So uh, I think he's a little bit further down the list. It'll be interesting to see what he looks like by the end of the season or what his role looks like by the end of the season than it does at the start of the season. Because I think at the start of the season, he's not going to be a major piece for Tennessee at running back. Yeah, for sure. You know, you you talked about Jerry Mack talking to the media. I I believe that was on Tuesday or so. Um, And he talked about, you know, why it was important for these running backs to put on that weight. He talked about how, hey, you know, we believe that adding those 15 pounds that you talked about right there for Jabari Small, man, we believe that's going to help him get up to about that maybe 20 to 25 carries a game mark. I, I think when when Jerry Mack talked about both running backs, it was interesting, and certainly the health came up as a conversation. But you could tell that he was a little bit more confident about where Jabari Small was in, in, in relation to his health as opposed to Jalen Wright. You know, when he talked about Jalen Wright, he said – Uh, I think I feel confident in saying that he'll be ready by the time we enter the first game. You know, it's a process with him and he's going through every phase a little bit more. So that to me, at least just kind of shows that, hey, they still have a focus on Jalen, right? He's still going to be a component to this backfield, but at least maybe when it comes to those top two guys, just didn't sound as me 
that Mac was as confident in the health as right right now. But again, you, you look right there, it looks like they're at least projecting him to to be on pace for that first game. And hey, the first game is against Ball State on a Thursday. So when you need them to be ready for Pittsburgh in week two, you get a little bit more 10-day stretch right there to, uh, to prepare, to recover from game one, to set up that game plan for game two. But really when you're talking about game one, game two, or the whole season, Man, we know how important just Tennessee's system of running backs is. We know how Tennessee used that two-headed monster almost that was Jabari Small and Tyon Evans last year with a little bit of Jalen Wright sprinkled in as well. So now when you look at that for this year, I think, again, you look at Jabari Small and, and Jalen Wright as those first two guys, but then you sprinkle in a little bit of the freshman back there. You sprinkle in a little bit of Dylan Sampson in certain situations. You sprinkle in a little bit of Justin Williams-Thomas in certain situations if you have the right scheme for it. I, I think that's solid. Uh, but yeah, like you, I, I think just kind of the the last final thing to look for over training camp at the running back position is just, again, who continues to step up into that number two spot and what is the health of these guys as the last couple of days go by? Yeah, I agree. And I guess the one other thing I would add there, talking to Jabari Small and Jerry Mack on Tuesday, was just that, you know, we, we talked about Justin Williams Thomas coming in, potentially being a short yardage back because he's got a little bit more physicality. And that may still happen, but Jabari Small definitely, you know, he wants to be that guy. He feels like with that weight he's added, he, he could be effective in that role. And he that was really kind of his role last year. Even as a smaller back, he's he's a tough runner and good at picking up the extra yard, yards. But that's kind of the one other note I would throw in there with talks in the back room. Yeah, you know, Ryan, you talked about uh, Lynn J. Dixon a second ago as one of the newcomers to Tennessee's lineup, one of these late newcomers that happened over the summer. Or really, for Lynn J. Dixon, it actually happened – I mean, right there, beginning few days of August or so. But the other newcomer that a lot of people are talking about, a lot of people are watching right now, is the USC transfer wide receiver, Brew McCoy. Now, you and I have talked about Brew McCoy many a times on this podcast. We've both written about Brew McCoy and what he's been able to do at training camp so far. But I will say uh, two quick notes on him. Number one, it looks like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, if I'm just forgetting something, but the last thing we've heard is that there is still... Uh, they're still waiting to hear the final decision on his eligibility status for this immediate upcoming year. It doesn't sound like Tennessee has uh, everything down yet. It, it, everything is not eligible yet. Uh, but according to Tennessee, it seems it seems to be something that they are still planning on, something that they're still working towards. But again, uh, that confirmation has not come just yet. Yeah, no, it hasn't. I mean, that's... It's a waiting game, and you, you say confirmation hasn't come yet. It's waiting for a decision, you know, not just confirmation. Uh, I, I think I said in our opening podcast of, of fall camp, we were kind of going positions and penciling in who we kind of thought were the starters, and, and Brew McCoy was kind of penciled in at that receiver spot. And I said, you got to hold it up. Uh, nothing's given with the NCAA, and I think that's just been proven even more. This thing is continues to get drawn out. It doesn't mean Tennessee's going to end up hearing bad news, but it, it, this has become, to me, at this point, a story. It, two two weeks before camp, they still don't know. Uh, to me, it's a big question. And McCoy does seem to get more and more comfortable with this offense coming off of that surgery he had in the offseason, getting in shape. Uh, I think it is to the point where if he was eligible, you know, I'd, I'd think he'd be starting uh, against Ball State. And if not, Ball State by Pittsburgh. I think he's one of Tennessee's best three receivers. But it's it's the waiting game. And I don't think Tennessee knows for sure. I don't think really anyone. Uh, water might be optimism. It's you just never know with the NCA. You never know what they're going to say. And uh, until he gets the the green stamp of approval, I think you just kind of have to hold out and 
take everything that Brew McCoy does well in practice with a, a little bit of a great assault. Yeah, and that's a great point right there. The waiting game does continue for Brew McCoy as Tennessee waits to see uh, if he will become eligible for the season. You're right, man. At the beginning of training camp especially, there was optimism, but as the time has gone on, you start to you start to at least think a little bit more, hey, what if this, this does happen? What if this doesn't happen? Obviously, like you said, we're only 15 days away from the season, so this is now becoming a, a, certainly a developing story as Tennessee waits to hear about the status of Brew McCoy. But so far, though, as far as what we've seen on the field, man, I think just so far in these 17 days, we have seen improvement from Brew McCoy. I think we've seen him get a little bit more comfortable in the uh, in the system, in the scheme as well. Obviously, a couple days mixed in there. I think he might have been limited at certain times, just maybe small injuries or, or just not wanting to tweak something. But does seem to be getting more and more comfortable in the system. Just watching those wide receiver drills go at the beginning of practice does seem like he is gaining more um, just more, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but, but just a better connection with some of the quarterbacks is, is figuring out things better, taking that coaching from the coaching better on the sideline. So I, I think that as far as what we've seen on the field, things are continuing to rise for Brew McCoy. But right now, like you said, 15 days away, just the waiting game is happening. Yeah. And, you know, we've, again, there's always so much you can really make of a rep order, but, you know, through a lot of fall camp, routes on air and even till you know through today i didn't catch the very start of route, routes on air in today's practice so if it changed during today's practice it changed during today's practice and my apologies but he's been back towards the end of the line behind ramel keaton behind walker merrill behind a number of receivers granted we knew that was all um i can't think of the right word but you know just phasing you know they're hinden hooker would jump back to the front of the line he wasn't ca- catching passes from gaston moore or navy schuler and I think even more evidence of that was today when Tennessee kind of did their uh, rollout passing drills with all four quarterbacks. They roll either to their left or their right, and then they throw to four different receivers down the field. And that one group, uh, it was Brew McCoy, Cedric Tillman, Princeton Fett, and Jalen Hyatt. I mean, those are Tennessee starters. Jacob Warren uh, was not out there at practice today, so Princeton Fett was in there with that first group, and obviously those two guys are going to basically split playing time 50-50. And Brew McCoy caught a pass from him and Hooker. It was Hooker who was throwing it to him there. So I think you're right. I think if he does get eligible, not only is he getting more comfortable, I think there's more and more signs to show that he's going to be one of Tennessee's go-to guys. And he's certainly Tennessee's working hard to kind of build some camaraderie and comfortability between Hooker and McCoy before the season starts. Hey, real quick, speaking of Princeton Fant, he talked to the media yesterday, had an interesting line when he talked about you know, what he had been working on himself over the offseason. He talked about, hey, I want to get better at the two main things that a tight end is known for. I want to get better at passing and blocking. He also dropped the tidbit that Tennessee tight ends going to be a lot more involved in the offense this year. Uh, To me, I mean, I I took that as a sign of good things to come. We Certainly, I think last year, uh, those two guys, Jacob Warren and Princeton Fant, combined for – golly I think it was about maybe 35 receptions or so they were very very close to each other almost had the exact same number of receptions so I think you you see how in this offense a tight end can be used very very well Uh, I think the middle of the field is a spot that Tennessee wants to attack through the passing game you saw that last year in the slot with Bayless Jones Jr. saw that obviously from what Warren and Fant were able to do but now with another year of the offense another year to add a couple of 
uh, wrinkles into it. And I think just the fact that Alex Golesh is your offensive coordinator. He works with these this tight end group the most, obviously, as the tight ends coach. I think he's going to figure out how he wants to use them the most this year. And I do think that we we see a uh, – I think we certainly could see an, a, a much more – uh, a much more potent passing offense that involves the tight ends this year, as opposed to maybe the 15, 16, 17 receptions that they each collected last season. Yeah, you're right on your numbers. 18 for Fanton and 16 for Warren. So 30, 34 for those two guys. And I think that's one that I'm just going to be interested to see. Um, I don't know, you know, really how I feel about that. Cause if they're getting more touches, taking the touches away from somebody else. So I think more than anything or, or targets probably would be the better word than touches. Uh, I think those guys show potential there. You know, I think it probably depends a lot on what Jalen Hyatt's like. If he lives up to his preseason hype, what uh, whoever is on the outside at separate Cedric Tillman, whether that be Brew McCoy or or a Walker Merrill or uh, Ramel Keaton. So I think a lot of that goes to that. Maybe specifically what I'll be interested to do with tight, tight ends, and I wouldn't be surprised if they do, is red zone targets for those two guys. I mean, two big bodies uh, who I think can be really effective in the red zone. And you kind of did see that. Already yeah. to a degree from from Jacob Warren, especially uh, a year ago, he became a red zone target. I believe he had a handful of touchdowns. One in that pit game uh, stands out to me in the red zone. So it'll be interesting to follow. And certainly, you know what Tennessee has there in those two veteran players. But it'll be interesting to see if they become a more, like Fant kind of alluded to, uh, a bigger part of the passing offense this season. Yeah, just a little bit of an improved role. All right, kind of closing things down on the training camp side of things. Uh, Ryan, you've been on top of the left tackle competition uh, lately. I know Josh Heupel recently talked about that. Just where are things standing with Tennessee's offensive line? We know that four of those components are pretty much locked in and have been doing a good job as experienced kind of veterans in that line. You got Javante Spragans, you got Cooper Mays, Jerome Carvin, and Darnell Wright. But we know that that left tackle position, look, Darnell Wright was there last year. He is certainly going to play right tackle this year. I, I think that's been discussed on uh, on a couple of different occasions so far during training camp, Darnell Wright over at right tackle. So that left tackle spot is open. There's been a couple of guys in the competition for that. J.J. Crawford is one. Gerald Mincy is one. Dane Davis also a uh, little bit of reps over there. What have you seen? And then what? Uh, more importantly, what have we heard about that left tackle spot? Yeah, well, I think the number one thing we heard is what you just talked about. Darnell Wright's not going to go back. You know, I think we talked about that at the start of fall camp. You aren't going to know too much until the season starts about those two guys, or at least the level they're going to play at. But the one thing you don't want to hear is that Darnell Wright moving back to left tackle and Dane Davis is hopping in this competition at right tackle just because that would, wouldn't show a whole lot of confidence in either of those guys. And Josh Heibel talked about it following their second scrimmage of the fall on Sunday that he thinks both those guys are going to play, at least early in the season. They, the competition is going to go into the season. What exactly those reps look like? Is it 50-50? I kind of doubt it. How close to, you know, being 100, 100 zero is it going to be, uh, I think, is is a big question. And right now, like we said, we know it's Jeremiah Crawford. We know it's Gerald Mincy. I continue to give Crawford the edge in that battle. I think this when the season starts here in 15 days, I think Crawford will get um, the first snaps. Uh, left tackle, I think, will be announced as Tennessee's starter with the inside Neyland Stadium. I think both those guys are going to play. And like I was kind of saying before, to me, the big question is, how much does Gerald Mincy play? We Heibel said he's going to play, or both those guys are going to play in game one. But there's going to be, one would think, mop-up duty time for him to play in game one. How early uh, does Tennessee start substituting uh, along the offensive line, really just to that left tackle spot? It's going to be really interesting to see. And it can be something interesting to see as the whole season plays out. And obviously, Tennessee's tempo 
uh, can make life difficult on, on offensive offensive linemen. It'll be interesting to see if they kind of utilize a platoon system at all at a left tackle spot. Yeah, I certainly agree. If, if I had to, uh, I, I'm right in line with your track, and if I had to give a prediction for who I think rolls out in that fifth spot for game one against Ball State in just 15 days from now, I, I do think that it's probably Crawford that ends up at that spot right there. So certainly an interesting conversation, certainly a ton going on at Tennessee training camp right now. In case you missed any of the stories, in case you want to go back and find out any of the positions, anything, what's going on with any of the players, hey, head over to RockyTopInsider.com. We have you covered over there with just a lot of Tennessee training camp news, notes, and conversations going on. All right, Ryan, we are going to take a quick break right now, jump back on the other side. The training camp conversation is in the rearview mirror. We are done with it. Obviously, we'll be back next week as well to kind of give our training camp wrap-up thoughts. We, we do not have a lot of time until the season begins, so that'll be next week. But Ryan, on the other side of the break, we're going to come back and talk a little Tennessee recruiting, Tennessee basketball and football, finding big wins on the recruiting trail earlier this week. We'll break it down for you and tell you about what's next for both. Don't go anywhere. Rocky Top Insider Press Pass. We'll be right back. And now, back to the show. All right, here we go. Back into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass. Back here on a Wednesday afternoon. We will be back in the studios next week, so be on the lookout for that. But until then, Ryan, we got still plenty to get into today. We still got a little recruiting to talk about in terms of Tennessee basketball and football. Both programs had a good uh, good couple days on the recruiting trail last week. Yeah, they did. Uh uh, I think both those football announcements, you know, the dates were out there. So we knew news was coming, a little bit of surprise on the Jordan Matthews front. And then on the basketball one, you know, an unscheduled uh, commitment and, and a guy Tennessee has been after for a while and a guy who Tennessee's long pursuit of him, uh, I think, paid uh, really big dividends in the end for them landing him. Well, let's talk about uh, him a little bit. Tennessee's newest four-star combo wing. Let's start out on the basketball side of things. Freddie DeLeon, he commits to Tennessee – out of Word of God Christian Academy in North Carolina. Man, this is a a talented player who's just dynamic with the ball in his hands. Six foot four. And, you know, Ryan, I wrote about this yesterday. I, I wonder if you'd agree based on just kind of what you've seen of his play so far. But I really kind of compared him to what I believe is working in the modern NBA right now. I, I think in modern NBA, you see a lot of maybe bigger sized guards who are handling the ball with, you know, at the top of the key and do have that size and that finesse to be able to go and create offense from there. I, I think about a guy who, who who maybe stands at about six foot four, six foot five, maybe even six, six, who can drive to the basket, not only has the size to penetrate down to the rim, but also has the power to maybe stop their cut on a dime and pull up a, a jump shot or a fadeaway or something around the elbow. I, I think to me, that's the kind of player that Freddie is, at least what I was watching from his tapes. Man, this is a really good guy with the ball in his hands. He can create moves off the floor, has a sharp dribble, uh, and is just a, a talented player that I think Tennessee is bringing in. What have you seen from him? Yeah, I, I think you're right. And really, all I've seen of him myself, it just highlights, uh, talk to a couple different people who have gotten to watch him a, a little bit closer and have seen him at the high school level in the AAU circuit. And uh, the things you hear about him is just really a complete player, physical with the ball, good ball handler, plays point guard at the high school level, where his future is probably off the ball, but can't handle the ball. That's why he's ranked as a combo guard. Really good feel for the game. Uh, really good passer, good finisher, good mid-range. I think one of the knocks on him is three-point shot, I think, right now. Has room for some work, but 
a guy that's already kind of moved up the rankings a little bit. I think he's kind of a late top 100 player on most sites, number 86 on 247 Sports Composite Rankings. But he was a guy that was ranked lower than that when Tennessee offered him uh, back in the winter and continues to rise and tons of good things. You know, I saw, obviously, I knew he was a Tennessee target. But from national people in the kind of the July AAU circuit, he's in the that Adidas circuit, the AAU team he plays on is an Adidas sponsorship. People just raved about him. And everywhere, every recruiting analyst, anyone I've seen who does these rankings says he's going to be, our next update, he's going to be higher. So I think this is a guy, when you look at his ranking right now, is better than that. I think this is a guy that's probably going to end up being a fringe top 50 prospect. And I think it's a really, really good get. I think he fits a lot of what Rick Barnes likes. He has that makeup to be a really good defender really from right away from the time he gets on campus. And I think he has that physicality to, to score, and he's got a really good mid-range jump shot too. So, And one thing you have heard from multiple people just say that he's a winner. He's a really tough, tough player, um, and I think it's a great get uh, for Tennessee. And they beat out Alabama and Wake Forest. I think Virginia and VCU got his other two offers. It seemed like this one was going to come down to Tennessee, Alabama, and Wake Forest. And Tennessee survived if he took – Visual visits to all five of those schools, but Tennessee uh, ends up surviving as he uh, went to Alabama in his last visit. And I think was a very real take for the Crimson Tide. But Rick Barnes and the Vols land him nonetheless, and they have their second four-star commit out of two commits in the 2023 recruiting class. Yeah, you know, one of the things that certainly impressed me about Freddie's game was just his ability to finish at the basket. I mean, you're right. You, you talked about just ways that he would get down there, and, and when he did, whether it was in transition as well. A uh, uh, a fast yet physical player in transition as well. Man, this is just a guy who, who has some silly finishes at the rim. I mean, can contort his body, can can play off of other people, can can finish at different angles, different heights. It's just a, a really talented player who, who I think, Ryan, for everything you said there, certainly will be moving up in the rankings and certainly a, a great piece for Tennessee to get early in this class. And then you also mentioned Cade Phillips and the connection to Alabama there. Tennessee beating Alabama twice now in the recruiting trail for both of their recruits, obviously talking about how Freddie was a uh, Alabama was one of the finalists kind of in, in his recruitment, got the last visit from him. And then we also talk about Cade Phillips, who is an Alabama legacy that Tennessee was able to get a commitment from. So you think about both of those and you think about a, a pretty strong uh, start to the recruiting class for Rick Barnes and the Tennessee program. No doubt about it. Certainly. And, you know, I do wonder how much, you know, Cade Phillips, I think his game fits Tennessee a lot more than it does Alabama's, you know, system style of play. But, the, you know, as a kid, he visited Alabama, I believe, multiple times. Alabama was in that one, too. So a couple huge wins and a little bit of, I don't know, if payback's the right word. I don't know if solace is the right word. But, you know, Alabama went into Nashville and got Brandon Miller in last year's class. He was a five-star recruit. It will probably will be one of Crimson Tide's best players in this class. Balls get a couple of guys, one down in the Yellowhammer State in the 2023 cycle that Alabama was targeting. Talking about stealing a recruit who is a legacy to another SEC program, Ryan, we flip over to the football side of things. On Tuesday, Tennessee picks up a commitment from Jordan Matthews, who is a legacy LSU player out of Baton Rouge. Now, LSU was not factored into his final two, his final three, and certainly wasn't even in the end of his recruitment but Tennessee does go and steals a uh, an LSU legacy in the recruiting class. Man, if you want to talk about the the story though, I'm kind of burying the lead. Really, Tennessee beat out Texas, and that was that was the big one for this. Jordan Matthews had a had a final three of 
Texas, Michigan, and Tennessee. A really talented four-star cornerback, again, out of Baton Rouge in the class of 2023. A lot of the talk uh, leading into his recruitment or leading into his commitment announcement on Tuesday was, hey, this guy seems like he's going to go to play at Texas. Seems like that is going to be the finalist. He had one of the more unique uh, announcements that I've seen. He he had a a sea of people. I mean, I'm not talking just like a commitment at, at the local gymnasium and you know, you got 20 students and, and some staff and some teachers. This gymnasium was absolutely filled to the brim. He had a police officer bring a large metal box to the stage for him and his family to look at. They opened the box, a, a shining white light illuminated from the box. And then he pulled out the Tennessee hat to uh, to surprise a lot of folks. So that was certainly an exciting moment for the Tennessee fan base uh, just a couple of days ago on Tuesday. But when you talk about Jordan Matthews, man, a very talented cornerback, very talented defensive back, a very smart individual as well. Not just smart on the football field, but smart in the classroom as well. And then everything we heard uh, during his commitment, just around this player during his uh, recruitment is that just a stand-up young man, uh, a, a good player to bring to Tennessee, a, a good individual to represent uh, the brand and, and exciting to see what he can bring to the table uh, eventually once that comes for Tennessee. Yeah, it seems like he was really one of top Tennessee's top corner uh, targets throughout the recruiting process and a big-time recruit, a top 150 guy. And, you know, I don't really know what happened with LSU in that scene. He had an LSU offer. He certainly seems like a guy that LSU would have targeted, but they never seemed to really have any traction. And going into the state of Louisiana and getting kids is very, very difficult, good kids especially. Uh, highly rated kids and you see Alabama do it because Alabama can go in about anywhere and, and get good kids and obviously Austin Texas isn't too too far away from there but for Tennessee to go in and beat out the Longhorns for a kid that they really wanted and really they thought they had you know even the morning of I think was a huge win and I think it really rounds out the cornerback class good when uh, you combine with Ricky Gibson who the other big commit I'm sure we'll get to here in just a second. Yeah, absolutely. That was going to be uh, the next conversation because Jordan Matthews' commitment comes on a Tuesday, and it was the second of the back-to-back defensive backs uh, that Tennessee had commit over the last couple of days. Tell me a little bit about more about Ricky Gibson, a high-rated three-star, uh, but again, a- another strong defensive back to add to the class. Yeah, so you know Gibson was I, I got to correct here. Gibson was on Sunday, and Matthews was on Monday, not Tuesday. Oh, you're, you're a day off. Oh, um, I had them. Okay. All right. The days are all getting a little mixed up here. Training camp has been uh, long and hard. <laughs> yeah, they're running together. And, you know, I mentioned that Matthews being a longtime Tennessee target. I think kind of played huge dividends in the Ricky Gibson, you know, is how long Tennessee was on him. And you've seen two guys now when you look at Sham Umarov, the offensive lineman, and now Ricky Gibson, guys that have had committable George offers choose Tennessee uh, over to Bulldogs. And that's huge. I mean, those are recruiting battles you have to win. But in this is a wet blanket or not, but yeah, I think a big part of why Tennessee won these battles is Tennessee's been hard on both of those kids for a really long time. Georgia had kind of, you know, they'd been talking to them. They'd been uh, certainly kind of keeping conversations going, but they hadn't been pressing hard until the end for both Umarov and Gibson in the weeks before he decided to commit, maybe even up to a month. Georgia really went full, full heart, full court press really wanting those kids. And Tennessee, the fact that they'd been there for a long time, meant they got them. And a lot of times we've seen, and with a lot of other schools with Tennessee, even when they've been, they've been the team that's been there for a long time in someone's recruitment, if Georgia comes calling or if Alabama comes calling or if Ohio State call, comes calling late, kind of saw that to somewhat of a degree, probably a lesser degree with Carnell Tate 
I think Ohio State maybe up their interest, or maybe not interesting. Interest have been there for a long time, but up their efforts late. Tennessee loses those kids, and before you can go and beat Georgia for a five star, who both people, both teams have been recruiting for eighteen months, extremely hard. You got to beat them for the kids that you've been recruiting harder for a long time. And I think when you add Ricky Gibson into what they already did earlier this summer with Sham and Rob, that's exactly what happened. And I think that's a huge gift for Tennessee. And when you combine Matthews and Gibson, I think Tennessee has a cornerback room that they are absolutely, absolutely love. And uh, they get Christian Conyer over Kentucky, who was a long, long time target. And then to land those two guys, to me, that's a really strong cornerback class to go with uh, what's already been a pretty solid safety class as well. So credit to Willie Martinez, credit to Josh Heupel for landing those guys. I think even though Gibson and Conyer are high three stars on most sites, I think those are huge wins and really wins that commits that are a lot bigger than maybe the the star ranking says. Certainly two big commitments on the recruiting trail for Josh Heupel and the Vols. Tennessee's 2023 recruiting class sitting at number 10 on rivals and just outside of the top 10, according to on three sports and 247 sports. So again, those numbers are over at rockytopinsider.com. If you would like to look those uh, look at those in a little bit more detail, but otherwise, Ryan, it is about time to close out the show, and we're going to do it with a little bit of a new segment today, a staple, an absolute staple in the radio and podcasting world, shout-outs. This can be for the Tennessee sports world. It can be for the anything else in the sports world, or it can just be about something else in between. The floor is yours. Ryan, who you got a uh, shout-out for on this nice Wednesday afternoon? Um, shout out Blade Tidwell that started out. He gets called up to low A after just throwing, I believe, one inning, maybe two innings, one outing for sure. Uh, in his rookie league debut, he's already quickly up to low A with, I believe, the St. Lucille Mets. So good news for Blade Tidwell. That's my first shout out. You know, the Metropolitans are quite the fun team in Major League Baseball right now. They are. I would like for the, the Mets. Took two out of three from them. Oh, did they? Yeah, I believe I believe that's the first time the Mets have lost a series in the NL East this year, which was like the longest streak to start the year going back to maybe the 1999 Braves. I think I saw that stat tweeted out earlier this week. Wow. So shout out to the Braves, even as much as I hate to say it, for ending that streak. Well, I would uh, I would like for the Mets to to continue what they're doing in – Look, I would like for them to give all of their pitchers a great walkout song. Or if anything, just give all yeah. of the pitchers the same walkout song because I think what they're doing for uh what they're doing for their closer right now might be the most fun thing I have seen in Major League Baseball so far this year. I mean, it, it is electric. <laughs> the it is the electric. videos are one of the coolest things I've ever seen. I know that it's it's obviously very cool because it's it's his and it's almost like a Ryan, I know you don't like this reference, but it's going to be like a wrestler on a walkout entrance, right? When you hear that music, you know exactly the one individual that's coming out, nobody else. So I do like that aspect, but it would be pretty cool to see Blade Tidwell strut to the mound with that kind of with that music going through the speakers as well. That'd be a fun moment. Yeah, uh, it's a little disturbing that you used the wrestling walk-up song instead of UFC or boxing. That's what it is, though. That's and the UFC. Ultimate, about, yeah, it's it's the same thing. You're right, but it's upsetting that you use the not even the sport, the entertainment that is boxing over uh, over UFC or the entertainment that is wrestling over UFC or boxing. But in a lot of ways, that's what the sports world. I'm going to digress on this in a second, but that's what the sports world can learn from the the sp- 
sports that have to be a little bit more entertaining, like wrestling or UFC. You have to add a little bit more showmanship into it. The Mets, they're doing it right, and that's why they're the talk of the baseball world right now, I think, at least. Hey, shout-out to, you know what? Shout-out to the Summit Blue uniforms. I like those. They look good. I, I think they look really clean. I think they look really slick. I am not necessarily a traditionalist where I need every uniform, every single logo, everything to be the same. I, I like a little bit of variety. I, I like when you can spruce things up, and I like when you can honor a legacy. Obviously, four of Tennessee's women's teams will be uh, will be debuting the alternate uh, Summit Blue jersey this year. It'll be softball, volleyball, women's basketball, and soccer. Uh, a couple of them have been released so far, and I think they look really good. Obviously, we know that Tennessee fans love to uh, love to honor. Uh, Pat Summit and her legacy across the sports world. So I think this is fantastic. Shout out to the blue jerseys. They look good. They do look good. And this brings up a long-held sports take I've had. I don't even know if I've ever told you this. It's kind of twofold. Two color combinations we never see from sports teams that I think are gorgeous. And that's orange and Carolina blue, which we do see, which the Summit blue is a little bit different, but similar, light blue. And, you know, that one I got a little bit of a cheating because the Lady Vols have always had a little bit of that Summit Blue in their jerseys, and I've always thought it looks fantastic. So, phenomenal jersey combination that we don't see much. Love to see it in a little bit bigger term with Summit Blue. And the last one, which obviously isn't going to be any related to Tennessee, but Kelly Green and Navy Blue, fantastic combination. Bring back the Hartford Wellers. They had it in the NHL, get the Carolinas. Storm. I'm not even hurricane. That's what they are. The Canes, yeah. yeah. Get them out of here. Uh, the Seahawks, Seahawks used to kind of have it too. Though the green wasn't quite Kelly green. It was a little bit more in the neon side, but those are two great color combinations. If you're looking to, to start a sports team, a youth sports team or something, people don't do that. You'll be unique and you'll look good doing it. Shout out. Yes, I do have another shout out Cordero Patterson. He makes his debut on the NFL Top 100 list this year. Oh, I year. did see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just, uh, you know, really cool. A guy that I don't have in front of me. But he played at Tennessee in 2012. So he's going on his 10th season in the league. He's played nine seasons in the NFL. And for him to make it for the first time, that's really cool. And the fact that he reinvented his game, he moved to running back and had the best season of his career as a veteran with the Atlanta Falcons. That was awesome. Uh, so – Great job by him to come in uh, come in there at 73, uh, I believe, on that list. And then also, we'll throw Alvin Kamara in there, too. He was at 51. He's the only – I don't believe they've done 50 through zero yet. Those are two former balls on the list as of now, and I don't expect anyone else to be on there one for 50. Maybe I'll be surprised, but I imagine Kamara is going to be the highest-rated ball on that list. Following up on that also, it actually does not look like uh, the latest report from the NFL world says that you know, Alvin Kamara's uh, uh, court process keeps getting delayed. This has been a long process. It's gone all the way back to the Pro Bowl last season. It actually looks like the suspension that uh, that is on the table for Alvin Kamara right now, the six games, could possibly get pushed back to the 2023 season, thus opening up for the entire schedule in 2022. So we'll, we'll continue to sit and watch on that. But that's a, that's a report that I've seen floating around the last couple of days. Yeah, fantasy football, fantasy football nugget there. I have one more uh, shout out myself to wrap this thing up. Uh, and, and this one, this one was a fun one. And it, and it certainly got people talking this week. Shout out to what seems like Twitter bots. 
because that's what a lot of people are talking about going back to the poll that Danny White put on Twitter when it refers to the field numbers. In case you missed this whole story, Tennessee Athletic Director Danny White, he put a <laughs> he put a rendering of the Tennessee football field on Twitter. Half of the numbers were in the old school style serif font, the one that you've traditionally seen always from Tennessee. The other half numbers were the newer uh, proposed change uh, numbers that match kind of the block jersey numbers design. And Danny White asked people to vote on it on Twitter. Now, for the for the most part, for the for most of the lifespan of the Twitter poll, it was around 75, 25 in favor of the new uh, new number styles. Now, all of a sudden, towards the end, the old school style won the poll after an influx of like 20,000 votes came in and people were hot. People were very upset about it. People are going left and right. If you go to Danny White's Twitter account, you can see in his comment section, people are uh, people are emphatically letting him know that Twitter bots may have ruined his poll. That was just one of the, I think, the funnier things that I saw from the from the Tennessee sports internet over the week. Uh, great job by by Danny White. I, I like to see, and I continue to think that that's a great move to, to just incorporate the fans, kind of get them talking in the right ways, get them uh, feeling involved within the program. But it was kind of funny to see this thing you just absolutely implode towards the end. <laughs> yes, and I'm with you. It was probably, it, it almost certainly was bots, but I am a fan of keeping it the same, so. I turn shout out to turning a blind eye because I'm turning a blind <laughs> eye to this, uh, to this uh, corruption, uh, one could say. But I will say I do like I like Danny White getting people involved. This one, this seemed like a big decision to put on Twitter, given the fact that a lot of Tennessee football fans aren't on Twitter, and I think a lot of Tennessee football fans aren't on Twitter would have would or old school people who want to keep it the same way, so. The corruption was really just balancing things out. That's how the vote went. Gone anyway. That's my spin. That's my spin zone from a person who's glad that the numbers are staying the way they were. I think if you put that poll in the local newspaper with a write-in number and you get to you get to call in and give your vote, it, it might it might change things up and, and even them out a little bit. Uh, Ryan, any final shout-outs for today on a Wednesday? That's all I got. That's all I got as well, my friend. We are going to go ahead and wrap this thing up and get out of here. It's been a long show today, but of course, we will be back next week as well as we're kind of talking about the last couple of days, the last couple of storylines that are going on at Tennessee Training Camp. And then we will have one more show after that before the Tennessee season starts. So we are really getting into the thick of things. We are about to be there. Uh, we are about to get this thing rolling very, very soon. All right, that's going to be it. Make sure to go and follow Rocky Top Insider on all the different social media channels. You can follow us over at YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, bringing you a ton, almost nonstop content right now on those different uh, platforms about the Tennessee training camp. And then, of course, as things move on to football as well, we will be there with you for that for Ryan Shumpert, you can go and follow him on Twitter at rshump00. I am Rick Butler. You can go and follow me on Twitter at Rick underscore Butler. But, of course, make sure you are following Rocky Top Insider for all of your Tennessee news, notes, and coverage. This has been the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Podcast. We'll see you back next week.